0: Yo, welcome to episode 149 of the Zay Coleman podcast, where today, of course, we'll be talking about top 10 centers in the NBA. We're finally closing uh this chapter of NBA content creation. God has been, we, we started this two weeks ago, and now we're finally closing. Where today, if you, by the way, if you hear that in the background, my next door neighbor is cutting. Uh. It's cutting his grass. How these should be doing the same thing if I'm being honest with you, but work comes first. As usual, again, we go through honorable mentions. We go through certain criteria that people might not like on this list. But overall, it's pretty, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a pretty level headed list. Accurate might not be the word, but I'm level headed when it comes to doing lists like these. And I give my specific reasons on why I think. Usually it's between players or ten through three ish. This one's probably gonna be ten through five because we probably know who the top four centers in the league. If you were at least half of an intelligent NBA fan out here in these streets. But if, before we go, I got five people in my honorable mentions list. Number one, Nikola Vucevic. Yes, he had an absolute uh down year with the Chicago Bulls last year. That's not uh honestly, that's not even a uh. That shouldn't be debated. He absolutely was down compared to his last half a year in Orlando, and even his previous couple years in Orlando, where he was an All Star. But I think he still has a decent, uh, uh, maybe another year or two as a, a, a really, uh, I'd say, an, I wouldn't even say elite, but a really good NBA center. And then he's going to probably go back to or go to a uh, more of a bench role, hopefully. And that's probably why Chicago should probably stock up on a center while they're still here. But between him and uh and the other Chicago Bulls veterans like DeMar DeRozan, like Alex, I guess you can call Alex Caruso a veteran. Uh same with like Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, like they're starting five minus Patrick uh Patrick Williams. This is a a very veteran team. i should say that because especially with the moves they made in the offseason, going out and get Andre Drummond, going and get Goran Dragic. Um this is a team that wants to compete right now, and Nikola Vucevic is the—I guess you can call it the X factor—in them competing this year. Whether if it's him taking less of an offensive role and more defensive role, or him just being really good on the offensive role, like he kind of was in his in the first half year of him in Chicago. Whether it, no matter which one it is, he has to make a significant impact for the Chicago Bulls to be halfway decent this year. There's a lot of competition out east, and If, like I said, if there's another down year from Nikola Vucevic, believe me, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be pretty for Chicago. Zach Levine's going to have to average like 33. DeMar DeRozan's got to hit like 17 game winners. Lonzo Ball has to come back open at night. Patrick Williams has to take a step just to mask the fact that Nikola Nikola Vucevic is going down in this kind of competition in the Eastern Conference where the Cavs got better. Um, the Raptors somewhat got better, of course, like I said, Atlanta got better. And these were teams that finished below or two of the three teams finished below Chicago in the rankings. So that's gonna be a tough uh a tough ask for Chicago to um to make the playoffs on that kind of a in that kind of uh competition out east. Jesus. I've blanked out for a minute, but in, to compete in that kind of competition with probably the i wouldn't even say the worst center maybe potentially the worst maybe the second worst center of teams that's competing in the eastern conference because out east you got joel compete uh, out there you got jared allen who we're going to talk about later um of course bam Adebayo is out there on a lot less of a team but miles turner is still out there robert williams and al horford as a man uh the man in the middle also out there uh those, those boys really do compete. And, and out, out East, anybody can – anybody has – even Atlanta has two really solid big men now uh, with Capella in another year of development with Onyeka Kongwu. They for sure have – there's a lot of bigs out there that can compete in the Eastern Conference. If, like if, and Nikola Vucevic being, again, not the worst, but kind of the, the most – I'd say the most – he he has the least, I would say the least impact of a lot, of most of the centers on this list, it's based off of last year, based off of last year, I think for sure is, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for them to to win out there, but like I said, another, a bounce back year from Nikola Vucevic gets them into the playoffs for sure. Number two, we mentioned him uh, recently, like very recently, uh, Clint Capella obviously is, he took a, a lot of much uh, similar to Vucevic he took a pretty steep step back last year mostly due to injuries and the uh the injury he had in the play in i believe it was it was even the play in or the first game of the playoffs was it was bad i'm not going to lump that that ankle injury kind of that kind of uh ruined a lot for the Atlanta Hawks came come playoff time granted they had that one Trey Young game but it 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 sucked that Bam Adebayo Bam Adebayo absolutely cooked them in the first round that's not that should not be that should not be up for debate. Bam absolutely cooked John Collins, and again, love John Collins, loving Yuka Kongu. but Bam Bam out of bio showed why he's he is a top ten center in this league for sure. He showed. the granted, that kind of fell off in the Boston series, but for sure that that game was a a Bam out of bio game, and Click I think would have stopped partially partially stopped that, and again, like. We I we kind of uh, look at Quinn Capella with rose and glasses because of uh, what he did in Houston. He was like the back line of their uh, one of their more underrated defenses of of the decade, honestly. And like I said, he was the main component of that because James Harden wasn't really a defender. Chris Paul was still like, a good defender, but he wasn't he wasn't like Clippers Chris Paul when he was on the defensive side of the ball. It was a it was a sort of a, sort of a step back Chris Paul on defense. Granted, they had two really good wings on the uh, that played good defense too, with Trevor Ariza and and uh, P.J. Tucker. But for sure, Clint Capella was that guy. And and when he got to Atlanta, the first year, the the year Atlanta went to the conference finals, he absolutely had a lot to do with them being a really good defensive team. Also, DeAndre Hunter, also, but like with a team with Trey Young, John Collins, Kevin Herter, pre-improvement. Like they like that was a a sus on paper, a sus defensive team, but in the second half of the year, which again was the the component of them getting to the conference finals, Clint Capella was one of the better room protectors in the game, and I feel like it, him getting back to that level is going to up Atlanta even further than where we're all already predicting them to be, which is potentially a top four or five seed in the Eastern Conference and a team that can genuinely compete for you know, to go deep in the playoffs again. Uh, number three, a guy that, again, on paper, stats-wise, you probably won't uh, look to see on this list, but if you actually watch the games, you would see why he's uh, on this list, and that's Steven Adams. Steven Adams, genuine, and again, he he kind of fits like that Draymond Green mold, mold of numbers don't make you a bad, or bad. Uh, low numbers don't make you a bad player. Steve Adams honestly could have been very much on this top 10 list, but there's underratedly a lot of talent in the Eastern – or sorry, in the at the center position in the NBA. So a lot in the Eastern Conference too, but in the West there's obviously some guys out there too. But with Stephen Adams, is he's always been this underrated guy. He was like that in OKC. He was kind of like – everybody felt like he was the more expendable guy in there because in they had Russ, they had KD, they had us, uh, Serge Ibaka, had just gotten Dion Waiters, like he, he, they felt like he was expendable, and that kind of showed when he went to New Orleans. He was basically like a one year rental for them, and I believe they, the he, they, uh, used him to go get Jonas Valanciunas. Which spoiler alert, he's also in my honorable mentions list. But Steven Adams, it was a tough blow because New Orleans needed a big man that could play some defense, especially when they were going against DeAndre Ayton, and I feel like. Steven Adams would have been that guy for sure. Steven, I, and again, he's not, I wouldn't call him a rim protector, but he absolutely fits the mold of a paint protector. Somebody that, you are he's not going to allow a lot of shots to even go up, let alone, let alone go in. He's going to be a guy that, he's going to rough up your favorite center, and he's going to make sure it is a dogfight for 48 minutes a game. And that's why I love Steven Adams. Also, one of the best offensive rebounders in the game today. Probably him between him and maybe Jared Allen, probably the two best. Maybe even I'd I'd probably put Rudy Gobert also up there. But two of the best offensive rebounding bigs, or two of the three best offensive rebounding bigs in the in the NBA for sure. I I'd also put Robert Williams up there. But Stephen Adams absolutely fits that mold of grit and grind, which. Coincidentally, he's in Memphis, so that, that grit and grind definitely does still apply even post zebo and, and Marcus. saw. But absolutely, W pick for Steven Adams. Number four on the honorable mentions list. We talked about him earlier, of course, Gian, uh, Jonas Valanciunas. I absolutely love that Jonas Valanciunas added a three-point shot to his game because Jonas Valanciunas for the longest time felt very stale whether he was in Toronto in Memphis for the couple years he was there and even the first year in New Orleans or was it no it was it was not the first year in New Orleans, it was last year. So yeah, like that he felt pretty stable. Once like so he got to New Orleans, he got to add the three point shot. I felt like that was out out of necessity because him and Zion are going to play a lot of minutes together and two non shooting bigs don't necessarily coexist in today's NBA unless you're hmm, I would say uh Alan Rob Rob, uh, Rob Williams, but However, it's still a pretty solid shooter. But for sure, Jonas Valanciunas adding a three-point shot absolutely helps. Can uh, open up pick-and-pop opportunities with uh, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum running the point, or even like Jose Alvarado. They got Dyson Daniels now. They got plenty of guys that can, that can handle the ball and can run the pick-and-pop with Jonas Valanciunas. He's going to get a, a few open shots a game just from those guys all being really solid uh, creators or to have the potential to be really solid solid creators. And I think that's that's going to be uh, his defense still kind of holds him back I think, but his rebounding and three point uh, his uh, newfound three point shot definitely uh, helps him out plenty. And the last person I was on uh, that's on my honorable mentions list, uh, Mitchell Robinson, just got paid by New York. Obviously, his numbers are, his numbers are going up every single year. Finally, this year he's going to be able to start after. Felt like forever, but honest to God, it was probably like two years of Nerland's Noel. I felt like he's going to, he finally gets uh, an opportunity to show why he's one of, he should be potentially a top 10 center in the NBA. And I think he'll get, the – he's probably getting in the Robert Williams treatment at this point, considering Robert Williams wasn't really a starting center until last season. I think he's going to be that in that similar role also. Uh, where he's kind of just a – he's, he's going to be rim protector. I think he he's, he has the ability to absolutely add a mid-range shot. I think he he kind of already has a shot down, but I want him to be a lot more consistent with it. But the defense is impeccable. He, the fouls have cut down drastically in the last year. um And, again, I think the offense will come. And if he has an uh, offensive game that equals his impact on the defensive side, This New York Knicks team will be a lot better than a lot of people uh, give them credit for. So, with that being said, uh, I think we'll get to the top 10 list. You can probably, based off of my honorable mentions list, you could probably uh, pinpoint who I have in my list. And, again, granted, I do have, at number 10, they play on the same team. I have them as slash. I have it as a slash because I didn't know who I thought was going to be better for this list. So, I just put both of them here. But my number 10 is Robert Williams slash Al Horford. Mentioned them earlier, them boys was the direct. I mean, granted, Jason Tatum absolutely had a couple all-time performances in that playoff in that playoff run. Don't get it twisted. Jalen Brown even had a couple really good, uh, like elite-level playoff performances. But Al Horford and Robert Williams defensively on Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I also put Grant Williams in there too. Grant Williams absolutely had some pretty solid defensive moments against uh Giannis Antetokounmpo too, but. That was the reason that they beat the Bucks. Tatum could have scored forty, and they still lost. If Giannis wasn't held to like twenty points on like forty something percent shooting, which is crazy for Giannis out of the Kumpo, they don't win that series. If Giannis puts up his regular season numbers, the Celtics win this series. I'll or sorry, the Bucks win this series. I might add, Rudy, like Robert Williams, and even again they showed in the Miami Heat series. Robert Williams and Al Horford made Bam Adebayo look like a backup center, which is tough to do considering Bam Adebayo is really, really good. Had a really good off- had a career year on the offensive end and on the defensive side of the ball. In the first two series that he was in, he played really good against Joel Embiid and Clint, Co- or sorry, well, against John Collins and Onyeka Gangu. That's still a, two really solid big men over there in Atlanta. And again, against Joel Embiid for the four games, he showed why he was a really elite level offensive and defensive player. That was all shut down in the Boston series, except for one game he had. I believe it was game four, maybe. It was a game that Miami at- desperately needed to win. But that that was, he had, what, 27, I believe, in that game. I don't think he had a, a double-digit uh, scoring game in any other game that series. And that and that really sours and that is honest to God with Robert Williams legitimately being a, a menace on in rim protecting, a menace. And again, at that at that point he was doing dealing with the he was still dealing with the meniscus thing, and that's kind of what hurt him in the Warriors series a little bit. He was just tired. His legs had given out on him. But I think this year is going to be a, another step up year for Robert Williams, whether if he adds a jump shot or not, doesn't him just being a lob catching, probably one of the top three room protecting big men in the NBA. I think for sure gives him a lot more credibility than 99% of other bigs that play that role. And I think that's going to be a, another key uh, proponent of the Boston Celtics being another uh, going to be elite again in the Eastern conference. Number 9. I got DeMontis Sabonis. And again, you probably talent-wise, DeMontis Sabonis probably will be a lot higher on this list. Defensively is not good. Honestly, terrible. Offensively ta- talent-wise, I think he offensively he is he is one of a kind, man. Lefty big man that can shoot, that can drive to the basket, can p- pass with the best of them. And he does he does it all. Still, at a really elite re- level rebounder. I I don't like him when again I hate him on the defensive side of the ball, which is why I was not a fan of the Kings trading for him with an already average defender in De- De'Aaron Fox, kind of in defenders and in Jeremy Lamb and Josh Jackson and Dante Divincenzo in that in that uh wing rotation. Harrison Barnes being an okay defender, but not him being the best defender in that rotation does or in that starting lineup doesn't. Um, give me hope. They added another okay defender in Kevin Herter, they added a, a okay defender in the draft and, Ke- and Keegan Murray. Who's a, this is very much an offensive oriented team? Don't get it twisted. This is this team is absolutely built to be on offense, and Davion Mitchell has to do like a Marcus Smart level job on the defensive side for them to look decent on that side on defense, but. With that being said, DeMonte Zabon is still an elite-level offensive player, and I wish, God, I wish, if he had just stepped up on the defensive side of the ball, he'd probably be in my conversation for top five, top maybe six, honestly, because that's a crazy, that's basically Nikola Jokic, if I'm being honest. Lefty Nikola Jokic, if he can be an okay defender and maybe add a better jump shot. Number eight. Former teammate of DeMontis Sabonis, I got Miles Turner. Again, seems like a little high to put Miles Turner because we've barely seen him in the last two years. Carbon copy everything I said with Sabonis, but instead of being an elite-level passer, he is an elite-level defender. Paint protector, or rim protector. This man is a shot-blocking menace. I believe he's led the league in, this, in blocks two of the last three years, if my mind does serve correctly. I know he did at least once, but I'm pretty sure he's done it another time also. It's a shame that Miles Turner is in – I wouldn't even say a shame he's in Indiana because I'm pretty sure he loves it there. He loves Carlisle. He, he, like said, he loves that organization. But it's a shame that he's stuck on a team that's probably not going to compete this year because I'm very much – I would like to see him on a team that seriously wants to contend. And that's why I was pushing so hard in the offseason that DeAndre Ayton signed uh, sign a trade to the Pacers for Miles Turner. Somewhere in the line of Miles Turner and Buddy Heald slash Chris Duarte or whatever, like I was I was pushing that heavily in the off season, and unfortunately that didn't come about. But still, Miles Turner very much uh like I said can give you what seventeen a game probably seven or eight rebounds, two three blocks a game on forty percent three point shooting. That's a guy that I would like to have as my starting center. No offense to Nerlens Noel, Isaiah Stewart, love you, Beef, beef Stew, Kelly Olynyk, etc. If Miles Turner became available to the Detroit Pistons, and all I had to give was Nerlens Noel in a second. Believe me, I'm doing that trade all day. Like that's that's not a you you can't think twice about that. Miles Turner is a, he is that good to where you want him on your team and you hate to go against him as a as a, a fan of an of team of the team that he plays against because. He's going to block your favorite center at least two to three times a game. Probably block your favorite point guard another time. And he's going to splash a three on the other end. That's a big man that I'd like to have in today's NBA. Number seven, mentioned him earlier, DeAndre Ayton. I feel DeAndre Ayton, and it sucks that I'm saying this about a guy that's 23, was a number one overall pick. Just came off a a 64-win season. I think we've seen the best of DeAndre Ayton. And again, we probably won't see the full best of DeAndre Ayton unless he's off of the Phoenix Suns. I know this sounds harsh to say. Again, for a 23, 24-year-old, again, potential all-star still, I don't have much faith in him on the Sun, but he also is the third best player on a team that won 64 games in the past season, the previous season, went to the finals. So I can't bury him for that. Again, I, the him having a max contract does not necessarily uh, make me optimistic that he wants to get better. I would hope that motivates him to potentially get that kind of money again. But if he's if he is the same DeAndre Ayton that we've seen in the last two years, honestly, his whole career, I think it's about time to pull the plug on any sort of DeAndre Ayton potential all-star talk. Because what we've seen in the last two years is really is good. But for him to reach six, five, four, three, two, or one level, he's got to be more consistent. He's got honestly, he's got to be more aggressive. And again, I'm probably being counterintuitive because number six is also not really aggra- aggressive, but I love him way more on the defensive side of the ball. DeAndre Ayton, see, and again, this this came to an absolute peak in the Mavs series. Is really okay, is good in the pick and roll. His it's DeAndre Ayton's predictable, I promise you. Sets a screen, Chris Paul creates enough space, or Devin Booker creates enough space. Cameron Payne, whoever the, the ball handler is, Mikael Bridges doesn't really matter. Sets a screen, he stops at about maybe two steps into the free throw line. No matter if it's a point guard that's guarding or that's switching, or it's a big man that's on him. Stops. He catches catches the ball. Wait. Does that half spin hook shot? DeAndre Ayton is predictable. It it sucks because again the seventh best center in the league, which again same seems good, and I would like for him to be better than this, but it is predictable at this point that Deon, what DeAndre Ayton is going to do. Almost anybody on this list, I can't predict what they're going to do. Maybe Sabonis with a spin move or Miles Turner pick and pop, but DeAndre Ayton should be better than what this is with this Sun team. And again, it might it might have been better if he was playing with Tyrese Halliburton. It might have been better if he was playing with K. Con. I don't. I don't know. I'm only mentioning the Pacers and the Pistons because those are the two teams that he was linked to all offseason, basically. If he was at all motivated to get better, this is the season to be motivated to get better. Because again, you got that max contract. Everybody's eyes are on you because you're the team that that is being written off as oh, yeah, they'll be a the fifth, sixth seed, probably first round exit. Because every other five, there are five teams that have gotten better than the Phoenix Suns this offseason. Dallas got better. Denver got healthy. Clippers got healthy. The Warriors, they're the same. They are the defending NBA champions. They don't necessarily need to, quote-unquote, get better. And the Pelicans are getting healthy. The Temple Wolves got better. This is the time for DeAndre Ayton to get better. <sighs> Number six, we talked about it. We're going to be counterintuitive. I don't care. Flip everything I just said about DeAndre Ayton. Let's put it right to Bam Adebayo. The Miami Heat are being written off a team that's like, yeah, they're good, but they're not nearly as good as what they were last year. Last year was the penultimate uh, peak of the Miami Heat. Probably the second round exit, if I'm being honest, this year. That's what a lot of the conversation is with the Miami Heat. And it stems from A, P.J. Tucker leaving to the contender it's in the same conference. And B, Bam Adebayo likely is not taking that next step. Tyler Hero will probably take that next step. Jimmy Butler is still going to be that Jimmy Butler type guy. Hopefully Kyle Lowry comes back healthy and in shape this year. Maybe you might get another step in. Maybe, I don't like Max Strews, Kayla Martin, whatever. But Bam Adebayo has to step up. Not should step up. Not could step up. He has to step up. Because, again, what we said about DeAndre Ayton, the last moments of Bam Adebayo that we saw – We're not good. Game five, game six, game seven was a pain to watch him go against a center on a torn meniscus. Dog him on the defensive end. Babied him. Bam out of bio. Again, a guy that I was predicting all NBA for. Guy that I I was mentioning being potentially top four center in the league, not six. I thought he would be better than Jared Allen. I thought he'd pass Rudy Gobert at this point. That game five, six, and seven made me question if he was top ten. Again, you know, first thoughts is always your worst thoughts. Bam out of bio made me think he wasn't top ten. Again, I had to to become level-headed again and eventually had to come to the realization that, yes, he's probably six. talent Talent-wise, defensively, he is a god on the defensive end of the book. He is what I would like any defensive big man in the NBA, can guard one, two, three, four, and five at a consistent enough level to where I can trust him switching. Because Kyle Lowry is a good enough paint uh, paint defender, or you know, in, in the back uh, in the back down position, he he's got he is a I wouldn't you know no 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 such shit, but he's got a wide enough body to wear. He's not going to get manhandled by center straight up. Ben Ben bio, I can also trust to go guard one on one against a point guard. I can trust him guarding Steph Curry. I can trust him guarding Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, and Kyrie Irving, James Harden, the Tyrese Maxey, et cetera, et cetera. Drew Holiday. I can trust him the guards, point guard, in the NBA, the best of the best. But I can't trust him to do the same thing on the offensive end. I can't trust him to go one on one against one of those point guards and a switch. I'm definitely not trusting him going up against Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, Jared Allen. Miles Turner, Robert Williams, those elite level defensive centers, I I can't trust them to do the same thing, especially when ninety percent of them are in the Eastern Conference. Again, I just named you guys that'll probably be on that are going to be fighting each other for all NBA teams like a Joel, Jared Allen, Bam Adebayo, Miles Turner, Robert Williams, and even in the honorable mention section like a, a Nikola Vucevic, Clint Capella, Mitchell Robinson is going to take another step. Bam Adebayo, he's becoming very much like, I want him, I want to be, I want it to feel unpredictable what Bam is going to do next year. He'll probably put up the same numbers, probably have the same impact on the defensive end. But I want him to take another step on offense. Go out and get 21-22 a game. Miami's going to need that because there are multiple teams in the Eastern Conference that have a couple of guys that'll go out there and get you 20 plus and play good defense. On, that team, on those teams. Cleveland has a couple guys that's going to get them 20 a game. Boston has a couple guys that will get them 27 a game, 28 a game. Philly's got them a couple guys that will get them three guys, honestly, that can get them 20. Four guys that have done it in their career. Will Miami do the same? Miami needs Bam Adebayo to do the same because Kyle Lowry ain't averaging 20 again. Duncan Robinson absolutely ain't average of 20. I don't even think he's going to be in the rotation to start the year, to be honest with you. I would like for him to be in the rotation, but I can't guarantee it. Kevin Martin not doing it. Max Drews ain't doing it. Whatever trades they make in the mid- middle of the season, they ain't doing it. Bam Adebayo has to do it. In order for this Miami Heat team to have a slither of a chance of getting back to the finals for the first time in two, well, at, at that point it would be three years. Number four. Sorry, number, f- Jesus, number five. I'm already jumping ahead here. Number five, I have Jared Allen. We mentioned him earlier. I think he's going to be having another all-star. I know, granted, he, had the, he only became an all-star because they was in Cleveland. He's going to take another step this year. And A is f- freelance out here. Freelance, he and Evan Mobley probably, outside of maybe Al Horford and Robert Williams, probably my favorite four or five combination in the NBA. And I'm not even joking, like legit Evan Mobley. I think is he's got such a unique game that it's, it's almost it's un, almost uncanny that I, I've ever seen this in the history of the NBA. And fully expecting him to take another step this year. Somebody else that I think will take another step is Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen. I think is will add is some sort of a um. I won't even say a back down game, but so he, I think he will put the ball on the floor a little bit more now that he's got uh, Isaac Koro as is his three instead of uh, Jared Allen, or sorry, except uh, instead of Laurie Market. Jesus, I know Donovan Mitchell's there, so that's gonna take some shots away from him. But if Donovan Mitchell cares about a starting center, wink, wink. Um, Jared Allen absolutely should be getting more touches. At least a couple more lobs to the basket because, realistically, nobody's jumping with Jared Allen. Nobody should jump with Jared Allen with the history of him, especially on defense, with the uh, way he was blocking. He had a stretch in Brooklyn where he was blocking, like, every superstar in the NBA. He had blocked, block, block, like, LeBron, KD, uh, Blake Griffin when he was in Detroit. Now, he had blocked everybody. Giannis, I believe, caught, uh, he caught also uh, trying to uh, catch a body. Like, he had everybody, like, legit getting stuffed at the rim. And, I'm pre- and he's going to continue that in Cleveland. Don't get a twist. Him and Evan Mobley, I think, defensively, might even be scarier than they are offensively. But offensively, they're scary, too, because they're two skilled guys at the center position. Four, give me Rudy Gobert. And again... I will copy this what I said about Bamad buy on DeAndre Ayton. The last we saw of Rudy Gobert was kind of disappointing. I think Rudy Gobert, first of all, he's got a lot better uh perimeter defenders on his uh on his team now than he did ever did in Utah, besides maybe potentially Royce O'Neal. Jane McDaniels, I think, is a menace on the defensive side of the ball. I think even I I'm and again it sucks. It genuinely does. It's terrible, honestly. That they had to get rid of Jared uh Jared Vanderbilt in that that trade. I think it, I'd have tried I'd have tried to push for a 2031 first-round pick before I'd give up Jared Vanderbilt, but that's just me though. Jared Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels, I think, was an elite level defensive combination with the uh with the Timberwolves. Rudy Gobert, I think, is going to have that combina- uh, have that uh chemistry with Jaden McDaniels to wear. They can ha- mask. D'Angelo Russell not being the best defenders or Anthony Edwards, I think having the potential to be a good defender, but hasn't necessarily shown it to uh to an elite level yet. Carl Anthony Towns, I think now that he doesn't have to necessarily be the room protector and can just be like a, just a, a, a big, bigger body in the paint, I think it will help his defense out tremendously. And again, even on the bench, like Kyle Anderson's the still a plus defender. Um, Wendell Moore—they drafted him for his defense, a solid shooter too. But they definitely drafted him more for his defense. Austin Rivers is still a really good defender, even at thirty. Like I said, the back half of thirty. He like this team defensively is going to be a lot better than they've seen in a long time in Minnesota, and that includes last year. Like Pat Bev and Jerry Vanderbilt were absolutely clutch, clutch, clutch moves. But he for sure is going to be a a candidate for to uh. To uh be be a, a, a defensive player of the year again, which I believe would make it at number four if I'm if I'm not mistaken, for uh, Rudy Gobert. Or maybe that's number five. I don't I, I lost count honestly. But he he's got a, he's gonna have a, another defensive player of the year potentially, uh potentially un, under his belt, and that's gonna add to his legacy and legacy of the Minnesota Timberwolves for that matter. Number three, we talked about uh, his teammate Carl Anthony Towns. And again, I know Carlton Towns is going to start at the four year this year, so he should be a power forward, yada, yada, yada. I know. Carlton Towns is still a center. They're just starting two centers. I know it's, it's, it's hard to wrap your brain around it, and yes, he's going to play a lot of power forward, but, but they are starting two centers. He is a center. He's been a center for the first seven, eight years of his career. He's going to continue to be a center, just starting at the power forward position. Once Rudy Gobert comes out the game, he will be the center. But anyways, Carlton Towns still elite. i I like I don't have to explain to you the the greatness of Carlton Towns. Still a really good he's honestly probably the best three point shooting big in the league. He probably isn't even close close if I'm being honest with you. Um offensively, he's still absolutely incredible, one of the more credible talents that I've seen in a long time. Um even defensively, he at one point he was atrocious on the defensive side of the ball. I think him along with number one spoilers have made leaps and bounds on the defensive side of the ball in the last couple of years. That makes me like doubt that there's a weakness in their game at all. Carl Anthony towns. I think playoff consistency might be his, but realistically it's not even his fault. I think he's, he's had a lot of um, both personal and professional issues that have, have kind of impacted impact. He, and he's even then he's not even bad in the playoffs. I, w- I won't ever twist my words to say that, but He's I wouldn't say he's elite. I think Anthony Edwards is probably the, the "quote unquote" playoff guy on, in that trio of of scores that they have on that team for sure, but Carl T. Towns is still a really solid big man and honestly, he could take I, I would hope if Minnesota is like the elite of the elite, could potentially take a, a leap to number 2. I think he has that kind of potential on this this level of a team. If they're like in the top 2 in the West, and he's putting up like twenty seven a game. He he very very much could be in that that number two conversation. Seems it seems implausible because top two was MVP candidates this year, but or like I said, we can we can say it's last year now. Last year we're in top two MVP candidates. One won the MVP, but overall, Anthony Towns I think has that type of talent. I just I want him to put it together. On an elite level NBA team. Number two, I think this is kind of where it gets semi predictable. Uh number two is Joel Embiid. And again, Joel Embiid is number two specifically because number one is a back to back MVP. So it's hard to hard to put the back to back MVP is not even the best player at his position. So with that being said, Joel Embiid, again, 76 is a contender. He's an MVP candidate. I think this is the second time in three years because I'm pretty sure he, Jokic, and Curry was the MVP uh, MVP race of 2021, and then it was him, Jokic, and uh, Giannis last year. So he is definitely still, like I said, elite of the elite. I think it's still comfortably top 10, could even have some arguments of being a top five player in the NBA, depends on how you twist your words on that. He's still... I I want him to have that, like, playoff moment. Hopefully, that three-pointer against the Raptors felt like a playoff moment, but then it led to him getting injured and then a a couple of pretty eh games in Miami, if I'm being honest with you. But this year, I think healthy, revamped, motivated after the stinker in Philly or in, in Miami where they legit gave up on the season. Adding PJ Tucker as a corner, uh, a corner spacer basically to replace Danny Green, him being a corner spacer and a much, much, much better defender. I'm really, really falling. In, I'm slowly falling in love with this 76ers team. I can't even lie, legit. Because Ty- Tyrese Maxey, I expect to take a jump this year. James Harden, I expect even if, even if he's the, the same James Harden we saw last year, and he was he putting up end eh numbers. Those in eh numbers are still twenty-two, eight, and ten. So, I'm comfortable with James Harden doing that as potentially the second or third option in this offense. T- uh, Tobias Harris do what you do. Score and score. That's legit. I, all I want from T- Tobias Harris go to the block, do a little uh spin, turn around jumper. That's all we really need from Tobias Harris to be honest with you. P.J. Tucker is going to play defense. He's going to um he's going to shoot the corner three. And that's about all. that's about it. And that bench is going to be it's going to be okay. Shake Milton, uh DeAnthony Melton, I think that's an offensive defensive combination. Uh, that's going to work really, really well. They added Mantras Harrell as an energy guy off the bench, for sure. Is going to be a plus for them. Furkan Korkmaz, hopefully that three point percentage kind of uh gets back up to that that thirties because last year was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie for him. That was a pretty pretty rough year for him at the three point line. Uh, they added Daniel House also, which I mean he's a Daryl Morey guy for sure, but his best years were under Darren Morey as the GM and James Harden as the primary ball handler. So hopefully he can get, get, uh, semi get back to that, um, that level of performance. Also, um, this Philly team looks, it looks special, man. I'm not gonna lie. It, it looks special. This, this team is, uh, really, really good. I just hope for the love of God that we don't get a, a choke moment. And I, I I'd rather them lose in like yeah everybody's good but it's just they they just ran they 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 ran into like all time Jason Tatum performance or they ran into an all time Jimmy Butler performance or they ran into an all time like Donovan Mitchell performance that's why that's what I want them to lose by not with James Harden having a, a stinker in game was a game six I believe and uh, Joel being injured and. Tyrese Maxey having to, to carry the offense. Like, I don't want that to be the story we write for the 76 years. I want them to go, if they're going to go out, go out in a blaze of glory. And number one, of course, the best center in the NBA, two time MVP, forever time All NBA, top five player in the league, Isaiah Stewart. No, I'm just playing. It's Nicole Jokic, man. Um, Yeah, it's kind of hard to try to to make it. I wouldn't even say it's hard to make an argument, but it's hard to, like, come up with anything new to describe Nikola Jokic. Like, obviously, you know, everything can apply. Probably best passer in the NBA at this this stage of his career. Still can get you 27 and 13. Much improved in the defensive end. Carried a, let's be honest, a very mid-Denver Nuggets roster with the, the the Murray and Porter injuries, very mid-roster to a, a legitimate playoff spot. They didn't need to play in to get to the playoffs. They were a legit playoff team. Granted, they lost to the NBA champions, so what? Everybody does. They showed why they were the team. They showed they show what they could, could be. Murray and Porter coming back healthy helps a lot and might dip his, his MVP uh, case Slightly down, but the man is still in, invaluable to how the Denver Nuggets offense run. If if the Marcus Cousins is, is the starting center on this team, I have little to no faith in them being a playoff team. Straight up, Nikola Jokic though makes them contenders in my eyes. Does that seem kind of of a stretch? To how many good teams we've talked about in this in this episode alone? Yes. Yes, it is. It seems like a very big stretch, but I'm willing to stretch that margin out tenfold just because we got the two-time MVP of the league on that team with Porter, with Murray. They revamped the the defense a lot with KCP and and uh and Bruce Brown. They got him. They they. They don't they don't have any depth at the center position. They don't have Boogie Cousins anymore. They signed DeAndre Jordan on the first day of free agency, which still two and a half months later boggles my mind. But I'm not supposed to understand it. That is 110% up to the Denver Nuggets uh, front office. But if Nikola Jokic knock on wood, he goes down with an injury. This team is donezo. This team is donezo. And again, I don't want to make this claim in, in September, but that is the claim right there. He goes down for two weeks, three weeks playing team easily. I think we can close the episode right there. Not not a whole lot has come out in the NBA news in the last three days. I, I, all, all I've really seen from the NBA community is uh, Kyrie Irving being an ass on on social media, but... You know, it we, those those conversations are left for social media, not for this podcast. So with that being said, of course, if you miss the previous hundred and forty eight episodes of the Zay Coleman Podcast, you can check them out on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcast, and of course right here on Acre. Until next time. I love you, you love me, let's love each other, see you later, goodbye.